Come on. So good to see everybody uh, this morning. Take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew this morning. And, uh, you know, the promise. We're starting a Christmas sermon series here. And the promise. You know, you cannot understand the Old Testament apart from the promise. You cannot understand the New Testament apart from the promise. You cannot understand Christmas apart from the promise. Uh, you cannot understand your purpose in life. You cannot understand salvation, ultimately, if you don't understand the promise. Now, the promise goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You remember the situation, Adam and Eve uh, had royally blown it, and God had put them in the perfect environment, right? Listen, unlike any church sanctuary in the world, it was never too hot, and it was never too cold, right? The temperature was always perfect, no pollution, no traffic, no sickness, no taxes, no stresses, no hassle whatsoever. The only thing was what they couldn't eat from that one tree, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God, God had said to them, listen, enjoy, man, knock it out. Don't touch the fruit of this one tree. And so Eve listened to that snake in the grass uh, who was the devil in disguise. And she, and he's basically like, did God really say, did he really say, you know, it's okay, do it. And she did it and, and she got her husband to eat. So we all blame Eve this morning. Amen. And so and part of the reason why we're in the mess we're in today is because of Adam and Eve. I used to think that. I used to think, thanks a lot, Adam. Thanks a lot, Eve. But I've realized if nobody had messed it up till my time, I probably could have been the one that would have messed it up for everybody after me. But I think in that moment, the devil was probably thrilled. He's happy, right? He thinks he's, you know, he's ruined the perfect world, you little perfect world, right? He messed up your little perfect marriage, Adam and Eve, right? He thinks that he's got some kind of, he's I, I broken that little, you thought you had a relationship with God, Adam and Eve. I've kind of broken that fellowship right there. Now, the devil's thinking he really stuck it to God. But then God makes a promise. And it's there in your notes. Look at Genesis chapter number 3, verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, her descendants. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And God is going to keep that promise is what he said. God was going to keep that promise no matter what. He's going to send the one into the world who's going to take care of Satan, going to take care of sin, going to take care of sickness. Can I get an amen? And take care of sorrow for all time. And then that's where Joseph and Mary and Jesus kind of arrive on the scene. Now this morning, look at this next slide. We're going to be looking at Joseph. Joseph. Now that might surprise you a little bit that we're going to look at him because nobody else ever looked at him. Uh, if you ever are asked to be in a Christmas program or a Christmas play and they ask you to be Joseph, don't take it as a compliment. Because Joseph, is, he's just kind of a fifth wheel. He's just kind of there. You want me to show you what Joseph does? He stands beside Mary and then he points at the manger with the baby doll in it. The wise men come. That's all he does. No, I mean, he doesn't have, he is absolutely, if you watch a Christmas play, Joseph is absolutely unnecessary. It's kind of like cats. Come, hey, 
completely unnecessary, right? So uh, if you see, when you see Joseph in the Christmas play, he doesn't get to bring any gifts. He doesn't sing any songs. He doesn't make any speeches. He just, that's all he does. Stands there in his sandals and his robe, kind of minding his own business. Now, we're going to miss it if we're not careful, because uh, God is about to bring to pass all the prophecies, all the promises from the Old Testament concerning the coming Messiah, and Joseph is going to be this big, big part in it. This great, great, awesome, awesome man of God, God is going to use in his plan to keep his promises. And Joseph is a good lesson for us when we're facing difficult and hard times. He teaches us a few things. And first thing, I want you to take some notes this morning. Write this down. You can trust God's promise even if you have doubts. Man, even if you have doubts. Everyone has had doubts. You can trust God's promises even when you're struggling with doubts. Now, you see immediately in the Gospel of Matthew, when we're introduced to Joseph, you see that his life is thrown into turmoil. Look at it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. First time his name's mentioned in this book. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, at first, now, and you have this, this thing that happens here. It says, uh, after his mother, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And, and, and verse 18 says betrothed. And then, and then verse 19, uh, Joseph is talking about divorcing her. And then on down in verse 20, it's his wife. See, marriage for them then was different than for us. Now, we, I, I was blessed to be a part of a wedding this weekend. It was beautiful. The bride was beautiful. The groom couldn't wait to kiss her. It was great. But we think that's marriage. That's the wedding. That's the event. It's not. And for the Jewish people, it was more of a process than an event. Does that make sense? And there's really three stages of this process. Look at this next slide. The first stage is the engagement stage. This is where the parents would pick. Right? Uh, they would find another family that had a daughter or son or whatever, and they would match their children together with who they wanted them to be married to. Right? And this is the engagement stage. Let me ask you a question. How would you like it if your parents picked who you were married to? Yeah, some of you, and you're sitting next to her or him right now, and you're thinking, boy, they could have done better than I did. Amen? Right? How many of you would like to pick who your children marry? Come on. Come on. She'd never get married. All right, listen. Listen, this, that's the first stage. Engagement It's basically an agreement between the parents. Ultimately, is all it is. Look at this next one. It's betrothal. Betrothal is, this would be our version of engagement, but it usually lasted about a year. But this is, when you hit this stage, you're married. You're married for all intents and purposes, but you don't get to live together or anything like that. This is a contractual stage. If you want to break it at this point, you have to get a divorce. You will be a divorced person. And then that leads into the last one, marriage, right? Marriage. And their marriage ceremony would last like a week usually. The celebration would be a week. And so how would you parents like to pay for a week? You pay for a one-day wedding. Isn't that enough? How would you like to fork it out for a whole week? Week, but that was their process. So it went from engagement to betrothal, and during that betrothal period, they're married. Just none of the benefits. They're married, and then it goes into the actual marriage. 
And that's why here, uh, if you, in verse 18, it's, it's saying before they came together, it's referring to his man and wife, that they weren't officially married. Now, Joseph has got a real problem on his hands. You've read this story so many times, maybe you don't understand how big of a problem uh, that it is, but he's married. She is more than likely a young teenager, a young teenager. And so he's married to this young teenager who is pregnant, but it's not his child. That's not his. So what's he going to do? What is he going to do? Now, according to the law, if a lady was found unfaithful before marriage took place, one of three things had to happen or could happen. The first thing is she'd be drugged out and stoned to death, right? They would kill her. The other thing that could happen is the, the husband could make a public disgrace out of her, go out there and just publicly announce to everybody her unfaithfulness and what she has done and then divorce her publicly and loudly. And the third thing was that he could put her away, a scripture put her away privately. What that means is they had a couple of officials that they could have went to. He could explain the situation to them and they would have quietly gotten divorced without making a big deal out of it. Though we all know everybody would have known exactly what was going on, but that was the third option. Now, Joseph, look at this next slide. He's just full of doubt. Just full of doubt. I mean, of course he is. Wouldn't you be full of doubt? First of all, he doubts Mary. Wouldn't you doubt Mary? Right? He doubts her character, her purity, who she is. He doubted God. Right? Because by, at this point, Mary has told Joseph, I'm, I'm pregnant, I'm with child, but it's, it, this is a thing that God is doing. It's by the Holy Spirit. And so you know that Joseph's not buying into that, would you? Would you? I mean, come on, Mary, you think a lot of yourself, don't you? You're pregnant, and God did it. I mean, think about that for just a moment. And so, and then, uh, he also, he has to be confused about God's will for his life. God, this isn't what I had planned, right? My, we were getting married. We we're going to start a family. I'm a good man. I'm a righteous man. I'm your guy. Joseph is a godly man. And now, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Everybody, either A, they're going to think that we did something out of wedlock and she gets, she's pregnant or that she's pregnant with somebody else. Either way, I don't come out of this looking very good. God, why did you do this to me? Right? He's in a tough spot here. And then also, he doubts himself because he doesn't know what to do. I mean, what does he do? Does he break off the engagement? I mean, think about it. What would you do? Right? He's thinking, do I, do I break this marriage off? Several years ago, a young lady wrote, Dear Abby, and she said, Dear Abby, I've been dating a man for some time now, and now right here just before the wedding, I discovered that he has a wooden leg. And then she asked, Do you think I should break it off? That's the highlight this morning, y'all. That's it. Do you think I should break it off? Isn't that good? I love Okay, okay. Listen, Joseph is wondering, though, should I break off this engagement? Right? Should I break off this engagement? Look at what he does verse 19. It says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. What does that mean? It means that he didn't go on Facebook, right? Like we would be tempted to do in 2019. You go on social media because, see, she's pregnant out of wedlock, and everybody's going to think that Joseph did it. And because Joseph is a godly man, that means he's not sleeping around with her while they're in this, uh, in this betrothal period. He's not uh, sleeping around with her. He's a good man, but what everybody's going to think. See, he's following God's plan for his life. See, some of you, you should think about following this plan for your life. It may seem old-fashioned, but it's not out of date. It's what God has called you to do in your dating and 
and your engagement relationships. But a lot of you are ignoring God's plan for your life and you're ending up in a mess and now you're wanting God to fix the mess that you created on your own when you didn't listen to God to begin with when he told you how you were to behave in these kinds of relationships. But that's not Joseph's problem. Joseph is a just man. He's a good man. He's done nothing wrong. And now, what do I do? Right? And Joseph, being a good guy, he obviously cares about her. Right? He decides, I'm going to put her away quietly, right? Privately. I care about her. And we'd go, what we would do is we'd go on social media and we would tell everybody. Now, we may not say, we would say enough where everybody knew. Right? We would just be like, I just, I just want to announce you may have heard, you know, me and her, it's over and da 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 you know, and you would you would tell you'd want everybody to know that you're the good guy, she's the bad guy, or vice versa. You'd want to go publicly defend yourself so nobody would think anything bad about you. You just happen to get caught up with a crazy person. That's not what he does. He wants to put her away privately. What would you do if your fiance come to you one day and said, Honey, I'm I'm pregnant, and it's God's fault. God did it. Would you believe her? Joseph didn't. You wouldn't have either. I wouldn't have either. So he decided to put her away. But I love about Joseph, though, he's not rushing into anything. Look at this next verse. Look at verse 20. It says, But while he thought about these things, behold, and, and there, while he thought about these things, so often we don't think, and we just do. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Awesome, right? But then Matthew gives the explanation. Okay, Joseph, you know, why are we doing it this way? Is this how we have to do it? Look at verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled. Say fulfilled. fulfilled. Which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Fulfilled is, could be the key word of the whole gospel of Matthew. Right? Because he says about 15 times in the book of Matthew, it's like so fulfilled, fulfilled, fulfilled. Right? And so what he's telling us over and over again, look at this next slide, that our God is a promise-keeping God. Our God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. That even though he said Thousands of years before this, this is going to happen. He made sure that it happened. Every prophecy of God that we have in the Old Testament, that we see that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament, is just a new reminder that our God keeps his word. When he says he's going to do something, he does it. Now, Joseph, though, he had to make a big decision. See, because you've read the story, so you think you know, but you don't. What I mean is, you think, okay, so he had a dream, had this vision, and so God told him, Mary didn't cheat on you, this really is of the Holy Spirit, we're bringing in the Son of God into the world, and so he could say, and all of that. And so that Joseph would go, oh, okay, would you? Well, God told you that, would you just go? When God tells you to do stuff now, do you always do it? Hmm. And this is big. This is big stuff. This isn't like not cheating on your taxes. This is big. And Joseph, I want you to just kind of stop there, pause there for just a moment, and recognize Joseph has a decision to make. It's not automatic just because you've read the story a bunch of times. He's got to make a choice. Am I going to do what God is telling me to do? Don't think that it was easy for him to go along with it. 
He knew what he would face. Let me think about it for just a moment. Everybody, every, one of two things. Either Joseph, who was a good man, a just man, a righteous man, a godly man. Either Joseph, everybody was going to think that him and Mary slept around during the betrothal period. Right? Or they're going to think that that happened with somebody else and Joseph is just a punk. Just a punk. Right? Because what would people say about a man that would stay with a woman like that? Right? And so he knows no matter what, on the other side of this, he's not going to look good. There's going to be whispering and gossiping and giggling and laughing behind his back. Verse 24 it says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife. And did not know her until she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph trusted God's promise. Joseph trusted God's promise. And if you're in the middle of a situation this morning, this is the good news. That if you don't feel like you don't have what it takes, you're not sure what tomorrow brings, you're unsure of God's calling on your life, the good news is, is that you can trust his promise too. And write this down. And that for every problem you've got, God has provision. For every problem that you have, God has provision. I'm not saying for every problem you have, God's going to take you out of it. I'm not saying for every problem that you have, God is just going to fix everything for you. What I'm saying is God has provision. Sometimes he's going to take you out of it. Sometimes God will fix it for you. But often, God is going to give you his presence. And the question is, is that enough? Is that enough? For every problem you face, God has provision. There's always provision. And we're going to see that in the life of Joseph. I don't know if y'all know this or not. This awesome privilege is a big problem if you're Joseph. Number two, write this down. We can also trust God's promises even when we're in danger. Even in danger. You can trust God's promises in the middle of danger. Now, sometime later, after Jesus was born, look at this in verse 13. It says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise. So Jesus has been born, all of that. He says, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt. What? And stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. And that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, does it surprise you? I mean, we, pretend like you've never read this before. Why is an angel of creator God telling Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus to run, to flee? It really doesn't make any sense, right? Joseph has to take this baby and this mama ultimately about 175 miles. And when I had a newborn baby, I didn't want to drive 175 miles with a baby. But they're going to have to travel overland, and doing it with a baby makes it dangerous and, and slow. It kind of seems like God is doing things the hard way here. Because that angel there's like, hey, Joseph, get up and run. That angel could have snapped his fingers and whooped any army Herod could put together. No problem. God could have done anything. He could have done the miraculous, the incredible. But he calls Joseph to take the child into Egypt. God chose to protect Joseph and his family. Listen to this. By the ordinary and the unmiraculous. See, often we're looking for the extraordinary and the miraculous. And when God wants to work in the ordinary 
and the unmiraculous. And I'll tell you what, many times we're not even faithful in the ordinary, the mundane, and the unmiraculous, and we're wondering why we never see the extraordinary or the miraculous. We have to be obedient. And God is choosing to move here in the ordinary. There's a lesson here. God's way is not always the softest way. God's way isn't always the easiest way. God's way isn't even always the safest way. We need to learn this today. This is true for your children, your grandchildren, and it's true for you. Look at this next slide. God's will may sometimes lead you to a very dangerous place. To a very dangerous place. We just uh, finished our week of prayer for our international missionaries. Some of our Southern Baptist missionaries all over the world are in incredibly dangerous places where their life is in danger moment by moment. God's will will sometimes lead you to a very dangerous place. No, No point in sugarcoating that and pretending like it's not true. But the most dangerous place is anywhere outside of the will of God. And you know that the safest place is anywhere that God has called you to be in God's will. Because when you're in God's will, you'll have God's provision and God's blessing. When you're outside of the will of God, you will not have that provision and that blessing. And if you're where God has called you to be, doing what God has called you to do, that's the safest place you could be. Because if something does happen, it's because he allows it. The reason why Joseph had to go to Egypt, though, even though it was dangerous and it was slow and it wasn't miraculous. But the reason why he had to go, verse 15, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. See, God keeps his promises. God keeps his word. What happens is this. So now imagine you're studying Old Testament scripture, prophecy about Jesus and all this prophecy that we have about this Messiah, this Savior who's going to come. And you're reading it and you're like, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure that this baby is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Like, it's like you're really good, right? You win every Bible quiz you've ever been on. So I'm pretty sure this baby is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. But then you get over here in another book and wait a minute, it says that God's going to call his son out of Egypt. I don't think this baby can be born in Bethlehem and come out of Egypt at the same time. So therefore, Scripture is contradicting itself. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Scripture contradicting itself? Now, how does God do it? God does, he's showing you right here. God is going to keep his promise. God is going to keep his word. And if you see something in Scripture that you think contradicts itself, the contradiction isn't in Scripture. The contradiction is in your limited understanding. God will keep his word. He keeps his promises. He made the promise that out of Egypt, my son, the Jewish Messiah, the savior of the world is going to come out of Egypt. And once more, we learned that for every problem, God has provision. God provided a way out of Israel. God provided a way into Egypt. God sustained them, protected them while they were in Egypt. No matter how bad things may look for you this morning, at school, on the job, in your family, in your marriage, in your relationships, with your finances, if you're surrendered to God's will, you will have God's provision and his protection. Anything that comes your way will go through him. You can trust God's promise for your life. Number three, write this down. The third thing is this. We can trust his promise, especially in hard times and difficult times. We often, we, we, we trust God's promises when we're on the mountaintop, right? I mean, it's easy. All of us, even though we would claim that our theology and doctrine is different, 
But sometimes where the rubber meets the road, we do have a name it and claim it kind of theology. But look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. Now, okay, the time for Jesus to come home has arrived, right? Herod had died. The angel tells Joseph, it's time to go back. That seems simple enough. We're going back to Israel. I want to think of all the places in Israel where Joseph could have took Jesus to be raised. Now, the number one place that comes to my mind is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of the world. Jerusalem is the center of Jewish culture. Jerusalem is the center of political life. This child is the king of kings, but he's also the Lord of lords, right? It's, a, it's where the temple is. It's the center of all spiritual worship. So it kind of makes sense. Let's take this baby and, and raise this baby in Jerusalem. But that doesn't happen. God doesn't allow this child to be in Jerusalem. They couldn't live where they wanted to. They had to be where God was calling them to. God tells Joseph basically to go to Nazareth. Nazareth now, listen, was about 55 miles north of Jerusalem. And the best way to describe it is it's nowhere in the middle of Nowhereville. Have you ever been there? That's where this is. At one point, being a Nazarene, let me use this as a derogatory term, but being a Nazarene or from Nazareth, like so we think it's cool, right? When I hear Jesus of Nazareth, I'm like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Jesus the Nazarene, I'm like, that's right. Jesus the Nazarene, it sounds cool, doesn't it? Or is it just me? But back, I guess it's just me. Thank you, church. Listen, and then, listen, but what happened was when, when they were going through this, and that day, being from Nazareth would have been like being a Jewish redneck. Just put all the cliches together, all the negative stereotypes, whatever. That's what it would have been like to be from Nazareth. That's why one time uh, Philip went to tell Nathaniel in the Gospels, he went to tell Nathaniel, hey, I met this guy Jesus uh, from Nazareth. He's amazing. You need to come meet Jesus. And what did he say? What did uh, uh, Nathaniel say? Look at verse 46, chapter, John chapter 1, verse 46. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? That's this town's reputation. That's this village. Can anything, anything good come out of Nazareth? There wasn't anything to it. So instead of all of his life, Jesus being called Jesus of Jerusalem. That even kind of sounds cool, doesn't it? Jesus of Jerusalem. He's Jesus of Nazareth. He's Jesus of finger. He's Jesus of Jack's Creek. He's Jesus of, where do you live? He's Jesus of Pinson, right? Instead, Jesus the Nazarene, I want you to understand what that means. It's what stuck up people would consider Nowhere in the middle of Nowhereville, and if you came from there, you are nobody, right? Jesus from Nazareth. 
Now, why did he have to be Jesus from Nazareth? Now, there's a lot of reasons, but let me just give you one. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. Yet again, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Again, uh, scripture contradicting itself. Now, if I'm an Old Testament scholar back in the day before Christ came, and I can see, well, clearly this baby's going to have to be born in Bethlehem, but also this baby's going to have to come out of Egypt, but somehow this baby's going to have to be from Nazareth. And God just put it all together. Why? Because our God is a promise-keeping God. Look at this next slide. God keeps his promises. You, we learn from Joseph that even the smallest, does it matter? Does it, is it going to change your Monday, Monday one little bit that Jesus is from Nazareth? Probably not. Probably not. That's not going to change your life tomorrow. But it teaches us that not one little detail that God promises will it, he, will, he will allow to go undone. He's going to do whatever it is that he promises, no matter how small or uh, the detail might be. And that, look at this next slide. That teaches us, again, for every problem, God has provision. When Jesus Christ was born that first Christmas, nobody expected it. It messed up everybody's plans. It messed up King Herod's plans. It certainly messed up the devil's plans. It messed up Joseph and Mary's plans. It messed up a lot of plans, man. God will absolutely mess your plans up. Think about this for a moment. Joseph and Mary wanted to get married. That's what they wanted. And it was God's plan for them to get married. Joseph and Mary wanted to start a family. And that was part of God's plan that they start a family. But it was also part of God's plan uh, for the virgin birth to happen and for Mary and Joseph to raise the Son of God. That was not on Joseph and Mary's radar at all. And if you go through life, as you live life, you're going to find things aren't always going to go according to your plans. Look at this next slide. Now, do you think that Joseph would go back and change anything? Do you think that Joseph, once all was said and done, was glad that God had messed up his plans? Joseph wanted a family, and Joseph wanted a wife, and Joseph wanted these things to happen. But then God got involved, and everything was different. But do you think Joseph would go back and trade his plans for God's plans? Not a chance. Joseph wouldn't have changed any of it at all. God's plan for Joseph's life was bigger than Joseph's plan for his life. God's calling on the life of Joseph was bigger than Joseph's calling on his own life. I mean, think about it. Ask Joseph. God's purpose for Joseph was greater than anything Joseph could ever imagine. It extended way beyond his carpentry shop. There are times when God's will is not the easiest things to do. It's just not. There are times when God's will is not the most convenient thing to do. But if we trust God and his promises and we walk in obedience to him, we will have his provision and his protection over our lives. And it'll always be the best thing to do. And when you come in a situation where I got to choose, am I going to obey God or am I going to do something else? And you choose to obey God. When you get down the road, you'll be grateful that God messed up your plans. Because his plans are always better than ours. His ways are higher than our ways. So the question this morning is, are you willing to trust the promises of God over your life? Joseph did, and we see the results. The only question is, will you? Will I? Let's pray.
Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we're so grateful for this man, this good man, this godly man, Joseph. Lord, I just uh, pray that we will follow his example in being obedient to you. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed. For just a moment, if you're here this morning, you know that you're saved. You know you've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. Our, our application prayer for our sermon this morning is super simple. Do you desire, above all things, to be obedient to God? Do you want to obey God's call on your life? Do you want to trust God's promises for your life? Would you slip your hand up all over the congregation? You want to be obedient to God. That's your prayer. God, help me to be obedient. And that's the only way that we can ever be obedient is with God's help. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much again for whew, your promises and your word. And God, for your calling and your mercy and your grace and your love. Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen us, help us, motivate us, give us that holy unction that we need uh, to serve you and to be obedient. Help us to recognize that, God, when you interrupt our lives, it's not an interruption, it's an opportunity to serve you and to know you more. Lord, we say yes. Show us where to go. Show us what to do. Lord, and show us how to love. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Be respectful of those around you. You're here this morning. Maybe you don't know that you're saved. You don't really know that you've been forgiven, right? I mean, you just don't have that assurance in your heart. Would you look up for just a second? Have you ever thought about why all the trouble? I mean, honestly, all, especially all the dads here. Doesn't this sound like a headache? Joseph, he's engaged, basically married to this woman, and then she's pregnant. That's a headache. It's a lot of trouble. And this whole God thing and calling on his life and I got to go to Bethlehem to be counted and we have the baby in Bethlehem and now I got to flee to Egypt because people want to kill us because of this baby. And then now we get to come home. Good news, we're going home. But we don't even get to live where we want to live. We don't really have a choice. People still want to kill us. It's a lot of trouble. I mean, why did God, all those years ago in the garden, promise that he was going to send one? Why did all through history, God was pointing to this moment where his son was going to come, be born of a virgin, live that sinless life, and then have to go down the cross? Why? Why did Jesus come? Well, you already see the verse up there. Look at it. It says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why? To save sinners. And the truth is, until you ever get to the point and place where you know that you're a sinner, you cannot be saved. Or what's the saying? Uh, Christ didn't come to save saints, he came to save sinners. And scripture teaches us that all have sinned. That all fall short of the glory of God. That we're all sinners. We're all in this together. And so he came to save all of us. You, me, all of us. But you have to know that you're a sinner. What do I mean by that? Well, you sin. Have you ever told a lie? Of course you have. Have you ever taken something that doesn't belong to you? Definitely. Have you ever used God's name in an unworthy manner? Have you blasphemed the name? Of, like we think, I've heard that, I've heard it done even at, you know how people say, ooh, you're at church. As if we're supposed to act different at church. And, but if you're saying that at church, I'd hate to be sitting on your couch when that football game's on. Have you used God's name in an unworthy manner? See, that's serious. The Bible calls that blasphemy. 
And God's word says that all liars and blasphemers will have their part in the lake of fire. The same verse that says Jesus came to save sinners. And we're like, yeah. The, the, the same Bible, I mean, says that all liars and blasphemers will have their part in the lake of fire. So is blaspheming the holy name of God a big deal? You bet it is. You bet it is. Jesus even talks about lust and adultery. See, we think that Jesus lowered the standard like he came to save sinners. So he just kind of, in the Old Testament, everything was really hard. He had all these rules and all these laws. But then Jesus comes and says, don't worry about all that and I forgive you. That's not exactly what happened. Whenever Jesus was confronted with some Old Testament law or principle, he always spoke in truth. And and the one thing that he said one time, instead of lowering the standard on adultery, he actually raised the standard. He says, I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you commit adultery with her. He tells us that sin is a heart issue. That if you just look at another person with lust, you've committed sin. It's not just a physical act or something like that. It's your heart. Now, who here this morning would dare say, I've never lied, I've never stolen, I've never blasphemed, I've never lusted after anyone in my heart. And what that means is every single one of us, everybody who's ever lived other than Jesus Christ, minimum, we're lying, thieving, blaspheming, adulterators at heart. And God will not find us blameless on the day of judgment. If there was no judgment, we wouldn't need Jesus. There is a judgment. It is coming, and it's coming surely. And the only answer is Christ. Why? Because he came to save sinners. Who are the sinners? You, man, and me. He came to save us. And so how can you trust that? Well, just like all those promises that we showed you this morning, right? So that it would be fulfilled. So that it would be fulfilled. It would be fulfilled. How everything God's word said about the Jesus who was to come, and God said it hundreds and thousands of years ahead of time, and all of those promises about Jesus came true. You can trust this one. Look at it, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. God promises if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our God is a promise-keeping God. And where there's a problem, he gives provision. And God has promised that when you bring your problem, your sin to him, That he provided his son as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. If you'll trust him. If you'll confess your sins to him. That he is faithful and just to forgive you. And to cleanse you from all lying, stealing, blaspheming, and adulterating. He'll forgive you of all of it. Wherever there's a problem, God gives provision. And our God is a promise-keeping God. Do you believe that promise this morning? Let's pray one more time. Every head bowed. Nobody leave this room unless it's an absolute emergency. Stay with us through the whole invitation. You're here this morning and you know that you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In your heart, you know that you need to accept that promise so that you have that provision of salvation. Right now, you know that God is calling you to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be set free from your sin. Will you trust him? Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. No one's looking around right there in your seat. I just want to pray with you. I will not drag you forward. I will not single you out. You've been, you know we don't do that. But right there in your seat, and just as an act of submitting yourself before God, would you just slip your hand up if I could pray with you? You need Jesus? Raise your hand right now. God bless you. I see you. Who else? Amen. I see you. 
Amen. I see you. Anyone else? It's not too late. Listen, I want to encourage you, those of you that just raised your hand, or maybe uh, God has been speaking to your heart and you didn't raise your hand. I just want to encourage you to pray and confess your sins to God right now. Maybe you could pray a prayer like this and simply say, Father God, tell him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm one of those lying, thieving, blaspheming, adulterators at heart. God, I sin. But tell him, say, Lord, I'm turning from my sin based on your word, and I'm turning to Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm putting my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection. God, I've got a problem, but you've given the provision, and I'm trusting your promise. Save me, Jesus. You pray that prayer. You humbly talk to God. You be sincere, do business with God. He'll do business with you. And he just forgave you. He just redeemed you. And now you have Christ's righteousness and not your own. He's given you the Holy Spirit. You've got resurrection power in your life. I want to encourage you. What are you going to do? God's word says, it's really clear that we need to go public with our faith. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you, you need to follow through and be baptized. That's what God calls us to do. Or maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation. We get saved and then we're baptized. We get baptized. You know you need to follow through. Why don't you come this morning and we'll schedule that time and rejoice with you. Make your faith in Christ public. Don't be ashamed. Maybe you're here this morning and God, this is your church family. This is your church home and it's time to make it official. God is calling you to be a part of the Grace Baptist family. I want to encourage you to make that uh, a step of faith, that step of obedience. It's important. God has given us church family for a reason and we're grateful for it. Why don't you come this morning and we'll rejoice with you. Maybe there's something else that God has placed on your heart. The altar will be open. You can come and pray. But I want to encourage you in this invitation to trust God's promises. He is our promise-keeping God. And when we trust, he gives us the provision. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? You come. Don't wait. Jesus, keep me near the 